0: about that yes praise the lord but what i am sporting is an oip issued ankle brace not to be confused with a dcp issued ankle bracelet (laughs) just to let you know that and uh, this ankle brace has been a great game changer in my life first of all uh, i am no longer grounded i've been able to fly and uh, so that's six weeks of not being able to fly Uh, is going away now, and I'm excited about that. I've also uh, got back to the gym. I've discovered that I've gained 10 pounds uh, during uh, my unambulatory life, which was not good and is not coming off very easily. As a matter of fact, this Wednesday uh, was my first day back at uh, Crunch Fitness uh, where I go, and believe me, I'm not any kind of great gym fitness person, but I do like to go there. And I I thought that I would ease into it a uh, a little bit because I didn't want to mess this ankle up. So uh, they have these uh, stationary recumbent bicycles. And so I kind of sat in that thing. I saw that my ankle didn't really move. And so uh, I did 30 minutes on the recumbent bicycle. And then I thought, that's probably enough. And I headed into the locker room. And so I get into the locker room and... uh, there are four of my friends that i haven't seen since covid since my ankle surgery they're all hanging out in in the locker room and uh we're having a good time we're shooting the breeze and there's a cell phone that is laying on the bench uh right by us and the, the phone starts to ring and and so one of my buddies he he picks up the phone and uh he says hello and he, he puts the thing on speaker which i thought was a little unusual but uh, the woman on the other end of the phone says, Hi, honey, it's me. Are you still at the gym? And, uh, and my buddy goes, Yep, I'm still at the gym. And the woman says, Well, I'm at the King of Prussia Mall, and I'm doing a little bit of shopping, and I found a $2,000 leather coat. Is it okay if I buy it? And I'm just like, Really? Really? There's such thing as a $2,000 leather, leather coat. But the guy says to the woman on the phone, he says, well, honey, if you like it, go ahead and buy it. And, and, and my other, other three buddies that are there, we're just like looking at one another like, this just did not happen. But it gets Crazier. The the woman then says, well, you know, on my way here, I stopped at the Lexus dealership in King of Prussia. And, you know, we've been looking for a black Lexus LX. And I talked to the salesman. He said he can get us one for just under $90,000. Is that okay? And the guy says, that would be great. Just make sure it has all the options I want. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself now, I definitely have the wrong career. I've chosen the wrong profession. But it gets even crazier. The woman then says, while I was on the turnpike, a real estate agent named Sally from Berkshire Hathaway called. And you know that house that we fell in love with a a year ago that that was pulled off the market? It's back on the market, and they've dropped the price. It's only $700,000. And I'm like, surely this guy is not going to buy a $700,000 house. And he says to his wife, that's great. Have Sally write up the contract. And bring it over tonight when you get home. Now, all of my friends, our our heads are completely spinning. This guy has just went through $800,000 in five minutes. And then the wife says to him, well, that's all that I had. I look forward to seeing you at home. And the guy goes, bye, honey, I love you too. Now, there is dead silence in the locker room. We're all looking at one another with our mouths hanging open. And then the guy looks at us, my friend, and he says with a smile, do any of you know whose phone this is? I have in my notes here, pause, be patient. It may take them a second. So if you open up your Bibles, I want you to write down today's date. It's November 14th, 2020. You can say it was the day that Pastor Mike finally told a reasonably good joke. Yeah, I I would take applause for that. Thank you. I, I, I told Pastor Ben this. I practiced on him. I didn't tell him it wasn't true. Pastor Ben, dude, is gullible. He took it hook, line, and sinker, man. It was awesome. Now, the question is, what does this have to do with the continuing sermon series that we have been working through for pretty much, I don't know, the last 18 months? And the answer to that is absolutely nothing at all. I couldn't find a good opening illustration, so I figured I'd warm you up with a little humor. So let's get started. If you do have a Bible with you today, please open it up to Genesis chapter 49. Uh, We're going to be working through Uh, Verses 13, 14, and 15 today. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the tables around the room. And if you're able to stand, if you would do so in honor of God's Word. Genesis 49, verses 13 through 15. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, if you've been around for the last several weeks, you know that we have uh, been working through the blessings that Jacob is giving to uh, his 12 sons as he is approaching uh death and over the course of the last couple weeks we have looked at the blessings that he's given to his first four boys and and these uh first four boys were all born uh to his wife Leah and uh the blessings all came in order to the boys and uh, now we're going to uh, hear the blessings that he provides to the remaining two kids that were born to Leah, but in the, the, the list of all the kids that were born, these guys are actually number uh, 10 and number 9, respectively, because Jacob had two other boys to his second wife, Rachel's handmaiden, Bilhah. He had two additional boys to Leah's handmaiden, Zilpah. And I know that's complicated, but having a total of 12 boys and one daughter to four different women is the definition of complicated. So that's where he's at right now. And I got to tell you, these three verses, they really don't give us a whole lot to work with. And I was kind of wondering, you know, why we broke things down the way that we did, but that's the way that it was set up. And so uh, what we have to do really to kind of understand what these three verses are talking about, we have to ultimately look at uh, Issachar and, and Zebulun's uh, folks who, who come after them, their, their descendants. So we're going to be kind of working our way through uh, their descendants. And, and that really doesn't even give us a whole lot uh, to work with. But I, what I try to do is I tried to cobble some information together and I, I've come up with with three basic points, and I'm going to give them to you right up front because I think that's a little bit easier, and then we'll, I'll tell you how I kind of develop these points. The first one is this, that God graciously provides certain advantages to his children. If you are a child of God, God has provided you some type of advantage. The second thing that I kind of glean from this is, is of those advantages, we can squander the advantages— that God has given us through compromise, and we can squander the advantages that God has given us through complacency. So that's what we're going to look at. God gives us advantages. We can squander those advantages through compromise. We can squander those advantages through complacency. So let's look at Uh, how God provides certain advantages to his children. Well, we see this throughout the pages of Scripture that God generously blesses his kids. Uh, For example, in the book of Deuteronomy, which is basically a a series of sermons that Moses preaches to uh, the ancient Israelites before they're ultimately going to be making their way into the promised land. Uh, In Deuteronomy, Moses kind of wraps up these messages that he has starting in verse 28 by saying this and if you faithfully obey the voice of the lord your god being careful to do all his commandments that i command you today the lord your god will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the lord your god blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field Blessed shall the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. And like the ancient Israelites, the God of the universe has come to his chosen children and allowed us to be the recipients of great blessings. And these blessings, they're they're unique from person to person to person. Not not every person has the exact same advantage. And this was true of both Zebulun and Issachar. Look again at verse 13 of chapter 49. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Now, Zebulun, he's the only one of Jacob's sons who actually finds out ahead of time what land his tribe is ultimately going to possess all the rest of the brothers they they don't they know that they're going to get land at some point but they ultimately die not knowing what land their ancestors are going to get that, that gets distributed later on once all the israelites have made their way into uh the promised land and uh this verse of prophecy has caused a lot of problems for bible scholars and the reason for the problems is that the tribe of zebulun when they actually received the land some 400 years after this prophecy has happened the their westward border actually stops about 10 miles before you get to the mediterranean sea so you're looking at this, and it says that they should dwell at the shore of the sea, they shall become a haven for ships, and things like that. And you're like, what's up with that? What, is this prophecy, did it, did it fail what occurred? Well, I don't believe so. There are, there are lots of different explanations for this seeming disparity between what Jacob prophesies about the land and what ultimately the, the tribe of Zebulun received some 400 years later. And the most reasonable is this, that the prophecy is not about geographic position as much as it is about geographic privilege. And the privilege being that Zebulun's land would be situated on the most prime trade route that ultimately moves itself from the Mediterranean Sea on the west the sea of galilee on the east and as a result zebulun would benefit greatly by this trade route. they would become wildly rich because of all this trade that is moving back and forth and it would be this financial benefit this financial advantage that 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 the tribe of zebulun has basically over the rest of the tribes of israel but Zebulun isn't the only one who gets advantage. Issachar also gets an advantage. And here in verse 14, we see their advantage. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. Now in our day, if you call someone a strong donkey, that is not you know, a very kind thing to say to people. Because calling someone a a strong donkey uh, is a crass term uh, that people don't like. You know, that's not something people like, and it's derogatory, and it says that they're obstinate or stupid or silly. But that wasn't the case when the Bible was written. You see, in biblical times, donkeys, they're extremely valuable animals. Donkeys are the ones that that people use to to tread out the seed and to— to move the mill around and grind the grain or to pull a plow. So when Jacob refers to to Issachar as a donkey, that's a, a very positive thing that he's doing. But not only does he refer to him as a donkey, he refers to him as a strong donkey. He's a powerful person whose tribe's going to be filled with strong people. So Zebulun's got this financial advantage, and the people of Issachar, Issachar's tribe has this advantage in terms of strength and power. And for those of us who are sitting in this room, who've confessed our sins, received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has also advantaged us. And even those in this room who who haven't yet received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he has advantaged you too. Now, some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa you do not know my story. I do not have any kind of advantage. And, the fact, and I would say, okay, well, I, I kind of get that. might be your perspective. But typically what we do is we always compare ourselves to, to people who are more advantaged than we are and never look for the people who are less advantaged than we are. Because then we would not feel as bad you know but that's what we do so so we we kind of look at these folks who are less advantaged but the fact of the matter is all of us we're greatly advantaged simply because we live in the united states of america we enjoy the benefits of living in the most prosperous most free most overflowing with opportunity nation in all of history clean water And sanitation are available to virtually every American. Okay, there's a couple exceptions. You can get to Appalachia or something like that. But that's not the way that it works in the vast majority of the world. My son Mike rented an apartment down in Ecuador, and Kathy and I helped him move into the apartment. And I look in his shower, and there is a, is a, a pipe coming out of the wall there is a big shower head affixed to it i mean this sucker is a monster it's got a plastic housing and you know what's running out of the shower head an electric power cord and the power cord goes to a fuse box that is above the shower and the way that he got hot water in his apartment in ecuador was he would flip a switch and electricity would run in and heat an element and run water through it in the shower. We are very advantaged in America. We live in relative peace. Most of us have families that actually love us. We dial 911, and more times than not, within a few moments, some kind of first responder is showing up at our doorstep. We have access to, to free primary and secondary education. We, we can go away to, to college and receive grants and, and student loans and things like that. We have those opportunities. Others have jobs, and if we don't, there's lifelines like unemployment and Social Security. Most of us have cars, and if we don't, we can take public transportation. Even the, the least advantaged of us has a cell phone has a television set, has a a microwave oven. I don't know a single person at Living Water who doesn't have a roof over their head. Not a single person. We have ready access to medical services. And for some of us, those services might be limited, but basic medical care is available to every American. You show up at the door of an emergency room, they're not turning you away. We live in a constitutional federal republic that allows us to to choose our own leaders. We have freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and freedom of religion and freedom to bear arms. When we find ourselves on the wrong side of the law, our government pays for someone to defend us. And on top of that, the vast majority of us are in pretty good health, And many in our church family are are, are wickedly smart or crazily athletic. I mean, we have all of these advantages. And they're advantages that far exceed most people on the globe. But there is a problem with having great advantages. And it's this. Those who have great advantages can greatly abuse those advantages. And that's the case both with the tribe of Zebulun and the tribe of Issachar. Zebulun squandered their advantage through compromise, and Issachar squanders their advantage through complacency. Let me show you. As we we make our way through the Old Testament, folks, you're not going to find a whole lot about the tribe of Zebulun. And you find out that they have a couple battles and some the number of armies they had the number of soldiers they have and things like that. But that's basically the details that you have. But you find out a little bit more in Judges chapter 1, when they actually blow it. It says this Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nehol. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Now, years before they enter the promised land, the, 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 the uh, folks who preceded uh, Zebulun and Issachar. Before they come into the promised land, they are told that they're going to drive out the inhabitants of the promised land. They're not supposed to keep them around. They're supposed to drive them out, and they're supposed to destroy all of their pagan temples and their pagan idols and their false gods. Yet rather than obediently following what God had called them to do and driving the Canaanites out of their land and doing the smackdown on all their false gods, the tribe of Zebulun decides instead, let's enslave these folks and let's let their their religious system continue uh, on. And on the surface, it probably seemed like a good idea. I mean, I, I can imagine the conversation that's going on with these guys. They're like, look, okay, if we kill these people, they're not going to be helpful to us. We can enslave them. We can make them work for us. And, 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 and we can be nice guys, and because we've enslaved them, we at least can let them keep their own religious practices and things like that. But that decision comes with incredibly disastrous implications. Because by allowing the Canaanites to live in their midst, Zebulun also allows the Canaanites lewd and immoral and sexually charged religious practices like temple prostitution and child sacrifice to stand. And before the descendants of Zebulun knew what they were doing, they were abandoning the God who rescued them from slavery in Egypt and the God who provided them land. And they're embracing the pagan Canaanite religion that they were told to ultimately destroy. You see, God had given them great advantage of gaining great wealth by putting their tribe on this vibrant trade route. But they wanted more. And they thought that enslaving the Canaanites would do just that. And they chose compromise and ended up squandering the very advantage that God gave them. And over time, that, that wonderful trade route that they were, were on, where there was all this commerce moving back and forth, well, it also serves for the very path that the Assyrian conquerors are ultimately going to come into their land, and ultimately then the Babylonians. And the wealth that they gain ultimately goes to other people. And in the words of the prophet Isaiah, The people of Zebulun would live for centuries in great darkness and the shadow of death. And brothers and sisters, the people of Zebulun, they're not the only people in the world who squander the great advantage that God has given them. The same holds true for many of us, because it is impossible to live for the world and live for Jesus at the same time. Something has to give. Something has to be compromised. And I remember the great temptations to compromise that I had when I was a Christian working in the corporate world. I can remember things like, you know, go ahead and and lie to the customer about the quality problem because they're probably not going to find it out. Go ahead and do that. I can remember the, the 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 temptation when I'm on the you know I'm in San Jose and, and I'm with a, a a sales buddy of mine who who lives a, a a very very sensuous lifestyle, and I can remember him trying to get me to to go into strip clubs and saying you know what Mike nobody over here knows you no one will ever know. I can remember people saying you know what go ahead and, and and pad your expense report. You know, you, you can get reimbursed for breakfast up to 25 bucks and you don't have to put in a receipt. Don't, you know, buy a, a $5 breakfast and, and put in 20 bucks on your expense report. Or go ahead and pad your resume. Nobody's going to check that, that you went to this college or went to that college. Go ahead and pad it. And a list of compromises and this life goes on and on and on. And you know, it's not really any different now that I'm a pastor. You know, the temptations to, to compromise, they're everywhere. They're just different than what I did before. What are those temptations? Don't preach that text. It's too controversial. Don't hold that person accountable because you know what? They're going to leave the church and take their money with you. Go ahead. Come in late, leave early. Nobody's checking up on you. Nobody cares. You know, you only see the elders on, on, on Sundays and a meeting a couple times a month. You know, do what you want. Don't be too transparent. You might get fired. And how about you? What are the areas in your life that you're willing to sacrifice on the altar of compromise? What are you willing to overlook just to fit in? How close to the edge of sin are you willing to walk? What blessings of God are you willing to take for granted in order to please yourself? How much darkness do you actually want to live in? As you ponder those questions, reflect on the words of Jesus in Mark 8. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You see, compromise to gain the temporal not only has the potential to to cost us the blessings that we have here and now, but it has the potential to cost us the blessings for all eternity. And so I ask you, and I ask myself, is our soul really worth the compromise? And however, the advantages that we enjoy can be swallowed up and compromised, they can also be squandered in complacency. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. Issachar is a strong donkey. Crouching between the sheepfolds, he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Now, I'm not a farmer. And the only thing that I know about donkeys is what I learned from the movie Shrek. Okay, I mean, that's pretty much where I'm at with that. And so I, I had to look up, what in the world does it mean to crouch between sheepfolds? I didn't even know what a, what a sheepfold was. And man, was I surprised at what I found. A sheepfold is, is, a, is a pen. It's an enclosure where you keep sheep or other animals, like like donkeys. And between the sheep folds is an open space where, where you shovel out the dung, the donkey poop, the sheep poop, and you throw it into this open space between the pens. So the pens are spaced out, and there's an opening along the pens. That's where you put all of the dung. And crouching between the sheepfolds means you're lying on the dung because it's warm. How's that for a descriptive word picture? Author Donald Gray Barnhouse says this, Issachar is described as the son who was willing to wallow in the filth for his own comfort. You couple that with what it says in verse 15, And you find a man in a tribe that in their desire to enjoy the good life, turn their back on work, work which they could have easily accomplished because they had the advantage of strength. And they ultimately become slaves, servants of forced labor. And that's exactly what happens to the tribe of Issachar. When it comes time for them to enter the Promised Land, the area that they're given is extremely fertile. It's this very desirable land. It's also the land which was conquered by the Assyrians, resulting in the people of Issachar descend being forced into exile. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah has to say about complacency. Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech, and little more than a year you will shudder. You complacent women, for the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. Trumble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourselves bare, and tie sackcloth around your waist. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the exalted city, for the palaces forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Isaiah wrote those words a little over one year before the Assyrians would attack the tribe of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And he speaks of those who are complacent, those who are at ease, those who are going through life thinking that that everything is just fine, nothing can go wrong. The fields will always be full of food. The vines will always be overflowing with grapes. The city dwellers will always be rejoicing. And instead, what's lurking behind the corner is destruction. And I'm wondering if you and I are actually living like that. I wonder if we are content in our comfort in our advantage. I'm wondering if The things of this world are really more important to us than the things of God. I'm wondering if we're so busy focusing on our lives and our comfort and our needs that we're ultimately blinded to the needs of others. You know, how many more people have to be killed in our city before we finally decide to do something about it? How many more? How many more young people have to overdose on opioids before we say enough is enough and we actually get engaged in things? How many teenage girls have to give up their virginity to some guy who will ultimately ghost them rather than waiting for a godly man, well, we stand around and say, nothing you can do about that. That's what young people do. How many of our marriages are going to implode because we're just an apathetic and selfish people and we don't want to get involved in the lives of our friends and family members when we see that their marriage is in deep trouble? How many of our kids have to grow up without a godly influence of both a mom and dad because we've complacently chosen sexual immorality over godly fidelity? How far does our culture have to descend into greater and greater depths of wickedness before we wake up and take notice? and decide to actively engage our culture. When will we grow tired of bedding down in the warmth of our own excrement while our loved ones face a Christless eternity because we don't love them enough to risk sharing the gospel? God has blessed each one of us with so much advantage. May we not squander it through complacency and compromise. You know, sadly, the tribes of Zebulun and Issachar, they would never recover from the back-to-back conquering of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And while many of their descendants would continue to faithfully follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the midst of captivity— they would ultimately be forced to do so in a place where immorality and sensuality and paganism ruled the land. And it would be a land that came to known as Galilee of the Gentiles. And for hundreds of years, the Jews would suffer at the hand of the Gentiles that lived in Galilee. But then one day, an ancient prophecy from the mouth of Isaiah would come to pass, and this is what we read. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious ways of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as as with the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us, a child is born. For unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do that. It would be in Galilee of the Gentiles that Jesus would begin his three-year ministry. And from that place, he would call 11 of his 12 disciples. And it would be there that he would heal and comfort and teach and love and ultimately give hope to countless men and women and boys and girls who were dead in their sins and trespasses. And it would be there that he would proclaim, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. For those of us who have done just that, who have repented and believed the gospel, do we really understand the great advantage that we have as followers of Christ? Do we understand that we are beloved sons and daughters of the King? Do we understand that our sins have been paid for by the the precious blood of the Son? Do we understand that our hearts have been graciously and powerfully filled by His Spirit? If we do, it is time to cast aside complacency and rise from the spiritual stench of living between the sheepfold. It's time to reject compromise and to stand firm in the word of God because we are called to be a light in the darkness, a city on a hill. We are the hope of the world. And as a church with both a little sea, living water, and a big sea, Christ World Church, Universal Church, it's probably time that we start acting like that. And for those of us who have yet to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and repent of our sins, today is the day of salvation. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. On Thursday night, my friend Lou went to bed thinking he was going to have a tomorrow. Sadly, that wasn't the case. Tonight, you might be standing in front of the holy God of the universe who asks you, why did you reject my son? And what will you say? What will you say? I thought I had more time. I'm really, I'm not that bad, so I wasn't sure that I actually even needed him. I wanted to keep my options open because following Jesus seems so narrow. Regardless of your excuse, whatever answer that you can come up with, no answer will satisfy. There is not a single answer that we can ever come up with that will satisfy the God of the universe when he asks us why have we rejected his son's offer of forgiveness and salvation today is the day of salvation come repent of your sins turn to him in faith let him change you and heal you and give you hope in a future let's pray precious Heavenly Father I feel like these messages lately have been so incredibly heavy. And Lord God, I I can't help but believe that you're trying to teach me something and to, to teach my friends something. I can't help but think, Heavenly Father, that it is your desire for your people to act as the called out ones be people who show kindness and love who care about the the widow and the orphan who pursue justice Lord who who speak the truth in love who don't waver from the truth of your word to be accepted by our culture Lord those seem to be all kinds of conflicting things they seem to be so hard to, to, to do all of that heavenly father Yet, Lord, that is the road you are calling us to to go down. That's the narrow path, Heavenly Father. Lord, to to cling to your word, yet love other people. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to do that. That, 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 Lord, that you would be our all in all. That, Lord, we would would want to please you more more than anything else, Heavenly Father. That we would would not uh, squander the great blessings that you have given us through complacency or compromise. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for those in this room who have yet to to come to faith in your Son. I pray tonight, Heavenly Father, in this place, Lord, that they would cry out to you for forgiveness. Lord, you don't have any prescribed way for that to work. Lord, you're simply looking for humble hearts that say, God, I strayed so far away from you. Forgive my sin. I receive your son. And Lord, put them on a a pathway to becoming a fully devoted follower of you, Heavenly Father. Not someone who who says just a simple prayer to your God, but someone whose life is radically transformed so that their family members and friends might look at them and, and, and say, they have been with Jesus. God, do your work in this place, in this time. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we prepare to close?